Hey everybody. I had a bunch of cool audio here. And uh kinda went away. So I'm gonna do my best because it's three in the morning and I'm quite tired. I gotta work in a few hours, so incidentally. Welcome to the lounge. Today I've got the last couple interviews from my QCC 4A. Um, I did have some cool audio where I talked about all the stuff, but uh, screw that one up. So I'm drop some simple like, hey, these are cool people. This is where you can find them, and then we'll go from there. But it's Sean Gilgore of Lake Effect Games, among other things. One of the reasons that there was a QCC, and also Melissa Lewis Gentry. MLG, as we know her. Um, we talk about the industry. She's coming right up, and then Sean will finish this out. So thanks for, for being cool and chill. And uh, hopefully I'll get this up in time for Thursday. And go from there. And we are still uh, at uh, Queen City Conquest, and I'm here with Melissa Lewis Gentry. Mm -hmm. um, you are a game consultant, yes, formerly of John Wick. Yeah. Um, how's how's everything going? Um, this show has been delightful. Yeah. Uh, I am a huge fan of indie RPGs, and with the con having such a focus on that, it's been really fun, and I've got to see a lot of my friends, so that's nice. Very cool. It's my first time up here, so. Very cool. How do you how do you like Buffalo? Um, so I'm from Western Mass, okay. so uh, like, you know, kind of regions of the worldwide, it, it's very similar uh, in a lot of ways, but Buffalo's nice. Yeah. It's cute. I've, I have had chicken with buffalo sauce on it while I've been here because I feel like that I need to understand, you know, what the, it is. the local cuisine. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, yeah it, it's, well, has, no, nobody's done the terrible trick of trying to get you to eat something ridiculously hot, have they? I mean... It's not really a trick. It's oh. more like a gift. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Right? Right? Like, oh no, it's really spicy. <laughs> what well, a shame. So I, I actually live in Rochester, mm -hmm. um, and I came to Buffalo when I was working uh, for a company uh, that has fruit-based technology. Okay. Um, and I worked in a store for them, and uh, in my role, I got to, like, mentor other teams and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And we came to Buffalo, and their their team there took us to Duff's and ordered a whole bunch of the hottest wings they had. Okay. Um, my, my whole team. And, um, and we immediately started devouring these. These are great. These are amazing. They, they were trying to trick us. They were trying to get us to eat hotter wings than they thought we could handle. Mm -hmm. But all three of us were like, nah. Yeah, it's <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, the only ones I stay away from is people are like, these are ghost pepper wings. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just, that's pain. There's not a flavor there. Yeah, that's that's the other big you know, thing. You give me something with like a smoky flavor. If it's hot, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, it's, I'm, I'm glad... That you have. Uh, I like this interview is that. just going to be about hot sauce. That's. Um, I mean, I could, I could probably. Uh, <laughs> well, welcome to the hot sauce sauce lounge. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Um, but I mean, you, so uh, you've gotten to play some games. I've gotten to play one game, which is usually more games than I play okay. at most conventions. Yeah. Very cool. That was the game that we played, right? Um, I was in. Were you in Turning Point? No, I played yeah. Turning Point. Yeah, I was, we played yeah. Turning Point. My brain is gone. That's yes. okay. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, which was which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Alice had lupus. Mm -mm. Nope. I was in a different game. Fair enough. I was in the uh, super gay uh, turning point game where uh, it was two. Uh, non-binary queer folk trying to determine if they were going to have kids and who was going to carry it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was great. Huh. Yeah. <sighs> There's been a lot of tur turning point going on. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
you you have a good excuse of maybe thinking me because there's a lot of beardos walking. Well, around, I think you were at the table like that was nearby, right after. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it is kind of blending together mm-hmm. <laughs> after a while. Um, so when when you're at conventions, what do you what are you usually doing? So. Uh, historically uh, selling games Uh, I used to be a retailer so I would often be behind the booth Mm -hmm. Uh, and then often just taking meetings with different designers to consult on packaging marketing distribution I'm like a kind of behind the scenes fixer sure type yeah we had a conversation yesterday about comic books now Uh it's it's all coming together yeah I used to run a comic book and game store yes of course Um, we had a great conversation Mm -hmm. Um, well now so um Let's talk about what you do now professionally. Sure. Um, you're you're a freelance consultant. Yes. Okay. Um, so, don't get me wrong. Um, I like big contracts where it's like, you know, full time. But this industry doesn't really have a lot of money for that. Sure. Um, and so, I have uh, what I like to refer to as ghostwriter kickstarters mm-hmm. uh, and run kickstarters behind the scenes. Um, uh, I. Um, do a lot of editing. I've done a lot of product consulting. Okay. Uh, helping with, uh, I have helped a lot of companies which are like, we're going to be self-designed publishers. How do people buy things? I'm like, okay. So I do a lot of that sort of consulting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So it's it's a lot of the logistics stuff that uh, sometimes creative people don't really get to yeah. can we say I went to to college for theater management okay uh, stage management um, oh wow that seems like the perfect major for that uh, well I mean I certainly didn't anticipate that it's, sure in, it's a, in hindsight 100% yeah. but um, through the history of time uh, creative folks artists whatever genre um, have needed managers to help with mm-hmm. some of the negotiation and through the history of time there have been manipulative managers mm-hmm. there have been people who have abused uh, creative folk and one of my passions is helping educate and empower people who are creative to be successful um, and so I like teaching best practices I like giving people the tools to succeed and then let the ducklings go and watch them fly and they grow <laughs> up very exciting that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, that's also like that's that's one of those things that uh, that I very much switched in my own brain. Um, actually, what did it? It was reading uh, reading biographies on uh, Jack Kirby. Oh, because yeah. if he'd had a manager, <laughs> I'm just gonna like deep sigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean. Such such a sad story. And and still within the comics industry, there is so yeah. much lack of understanding the the process the business of comic books. I mm-hmm. could I could talk about the business of comic books forever, um, uh, and how deeply dysfunctional it is for all members for for like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Anyone who thinks that there's someone like that, there are more than maybe two people that are making like a decent amount of money off of comics like like no one is making yeah. money off of comics yeah. like no one and like any li- different level of the industry well it, and even you know out beyond comic books and like you know since we're talking about gaming yeah um all right it, it, is there a self advocacy self advocacy issue um i think that um there is a self advocacy issue there's also an issue in the game industry that Unlike other manufacturing industries, the vast majority of people who enter this industry um, aren't necessarily thinking about it as a career, like career training, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, They're entering this industry due to passion, right? Sure. It's a passion industry. And whenever you have passion industries, you're going to have major gaps because people are going to do anything they can to get into the industry, not thinking about the realities of structure Mm -hmm. and when people are are desperate to get into an industry they're willing to make compromises to their own integrity and well-being to get there right uh and i see that constantly i see people 
willing, I see designers willing to take three to four cents a word on writing assignments Ugh. because they get to write for that publisher that they want to, right? And that's that's not sustainable or fair or good business practice. Yeah. Um, but, you know. It also yeah. seems like it would be harmful for that publisher, too. If the publisher can get away with it. Yeah. Right? Like, and that being said, not all publishers who do that are, you know, robber barons or sure. anything. It's that their circulation is so low. Right. But they have pressure to come out with, you know, huge products for lower price points. Mm. When, you know, realistically, they couldn't make that product at that price point without doubling their unit size. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so scale at this industry is where there's a huge amount of problems. Okay. Um, and that's okay. and that's starting to change mm-hmm. because our audience is growing. Our audience is growing hugely. Right. Uh, but the rate, the percentage rate of amount of new designers in the industry in relation to the amount of consumers is the, the amount of designers are growing. Yeah much faster than our consumer base. Our consumer base is growing very, very fast and very well, but with the option of crowdfunding being available, it, it makes publishing and creation accessible, Yeah, which is wonderful from an artistic standpoint and is devastating from an economic standpoint. <laughs> like there's something like 8,000 games that came out last year, Yeah, right? Your average game store is gonna bring in what three four hundred titles a year maybe more yeah maybe like six hundred like but you're gonna probably cap out at around a thousand a year and if eight thousand titles came out right right that's like yeah i mean it's impossible do, do you think that brick and, brick and mortar is is kind of getting a raw deal out of that Oh, man. Okay, so I just picked up this book, um, which I highly recommend people read. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it in my bag? It is. Ha-ha. Uh, it's called Friendly Local Game Store. Ooh. Uh, it's by Gary Ray, okay. who is a good human and very smart. Uh, and it goes over the finances of running a game store. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, I feel there's a lot of his hostility from um, self-publishers, especially towards game stores. And then generally, publishers and game stores have a lot of antagonism towards each other. Yeah. I think because they think that each other is trying to cheat them out of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reality is, is no one's making any money here. (laughs) Right? Like, no, like, uh, game stores, anyone who opens a game store is doing it because they love games, not because they want to, like, make a living. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, and the few people that do open game stores to try to make a living quickly close those stores. Sure. <laughs> right? Like, so, um, but the reality is that the last statistic I, I read, and it could have changed this year, but the last statistic I read was that for retail commerce, uh, cross-genre, not specific to games, but retail commerce, 30% of it is online. Yeah. And so this perception that the vast majority of our purchasing is online is not based in reality. Right. And this is retail commerce, not grocery store. So not necessities, but retail commerce. Specifically, um, okay. And so there, I hear about a lot of small publishers being like, I don't need to deal with retail stores. Those greedy, you know, evil folk who want to sell my games, I don't need their sales. And it's just like them shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly because game store owners want to sell games because they really like games and they're going to be your biggest fans. Sure. I mean, now, mind you, not every friendly game store owner is friendly. Like, like there are notable exceptions. <laughs> but the vast majority of them are people who are like, oh, I like games. <laughs> I want to sell your game because I want, to t- I want other people to play this, right? Um, I wish there was better relationships between small publishers and game stores, but it's hard. In the last few years, though, there have been some, like, like with brick and mortar, mm-hmm. taking a game store and tying it to another thing that I've seen in a few different places. Yeah, whether it's a board game cafe or right. a board game in a record store. Or, yeah, um, Bars? Yeah. Um, that's mostly because uh, the average 
profit margin for a game store used to be five to seven percent mm-hmm. and uh, I can speak to East Coast, West Coast. I cannot really speak to the Midwest because the economics of running businesses is different okay. um, depending on how close you are to a metropolitan center. But due to real estate prices, East Coast, West Coast, as well as um, minimum wage laws going way up, mm-hmm. uh, the costs of doing business versus the price points and general like prices of products are not commensurate mm-hmm. and that uh, expected profit margin has dropped from like one to three percent. Oof. And if you think about generally, so we're at like a profit margin like, you know, five to seven percent. Good stores might be at like ten percent profit margin. Um, so, uh, you know, that profit margin is not including like investing in the store for you know increasing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that expenses go up, usually on average, ten percent a year. Yeah, yeah. Right? So so Oof. game stores are constantly chasing the, we can't plan for what's next. We're right. just trying to get by and do the best we can. Um, it's So in trying to combine with other models, they're trying to bring in broader audiences, mm-hmm. uh, making it more accessible uh, to a bigger consumer base than previously had been targeted. It's also there is this stereotype of a game store being in a basement. Right. And being gross and being poorly, poor fluorescent lighting and everything, (laughs) you know. And um, that stereotype started becoming not the norm about maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, now I would say a very large number of stores are not like that. Yeah. But the stereotype is still there. Sure. Um, so by marrying a store to a brightly lit cafe mm-hmm. or a sweet bar, you are destroying that stereotype very, very swiftly. Um, okay. And helping yeah. reorient the consumer into, um, you know, this this basement store stereotype is often one where it's like, well, why would I pay any money? I'm just hanging out with my friends in the basement anyway. Mm-hmm. But when you go into a swank bar with leather seats mm-hmm. and you know brass on the bar mm-hmm. uh, and you look at your array of board games that you can rent sure you understand that you're going to have to pay for things and that you're paying for the waitress and you're paying for this like that that there's commerce going on the experience makes more sense yes yeah because um, the reality is is that like we have to pay for our labor yeah. right people should get paid for the work that they do um, you can't run a store on volunteers because yeah. it's not legal <laughs> or ethical, but you know. Sure. Do you see that trend kind of continuing where where game stores um, or or any sort of um, I don't want to say niche, uh, uh, but any sort of low profit margin mm-hmm. uh, market might more often be combined with something that's not that that's a more profitable business to kind of marry the two. I mean, are there going to be do you anticipate there being game stores and like insurance agencies? <laughs> I mean, it helps to. Um, okay, I'm going to go on a weird segue. Sure. So, um, I used to run one of the stores I, I ran was in the town of Northampton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and they, the Chamber of Commerce, brought in a company called Placemakers uh, that also does, uh, which is a marketing company that does stuff for the city of Vancouver for uh, Seattle and mm-hmm. then Northampton. Okay. Uh, Northampton, mind you, is a city of 28,000 people, but likes to think that it's the size of Portland, Oregon. Fair enough. Okay. Bye. Um, uh, so, um, and this service basically was a cross-marketing services between co- between all the different local businesses. So it was like a, a points card, that, you know, swipe, like a frequent buyer card. Okay. But let's say you were a frequent buyer at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. After your fifth coffee, you might get a $2 coupon to buy a comic book. Cross marketing, yeah, okay. encourage you to shop within okay. the city, and there was all this tracking first before it offered those coupons for, and it had like information data for us where we had there was a a, a coffee shop and bar two doors down, mm-hmm. and it showed that like unequivocally first people would buy their comics here, then they would go there, get a coffee, read their comics, 
Ah. Right? And uh, it helped track location-based consumer trends. Yeah. Um, that sort of statistical analysis um, based on localities, I think, is really powerful for businesses, but it's really expensive. <laughs> right. Um, and so the fact that the Chamber of Commerce was offering and was, was sponsoring it was the only reason that I was able to get data. Yeah. So. Well, that's... Oh. Uh, okay. So... What was the outcome of that, though? So, ultimately? I mean, the outcome of that was um, the the free service I got at first was really, really interesting, and then the amount of money they wanted for advertisement did not warrant the general walkthrough traffic that we were getting. Okay, we were two small potatoes. Okay, it's much better in a large metropolitan city. Like again, if you have a general population of four hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand people, you're getting a way different kind of sales income than if you have a population of twenty eight thousand people. Sure. Right. And so I couldn't justify spending a thousand dollars a year in marketing expenses. Like I had trouble justifying spending a hundred dollars a year in marketing <laughs> expenses. Like right. Uh, like the, the the keyword was small in small business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. But um, uh, uh, statistical data is something I'm very interested in, mm -hmm. and you would be surprised that businesses that don't don't think they necessarily go together sometimes are great sitting next to each other. Sure. Right. Um, but when it comes to a business that's a combined business, there does need to be trends. Yeah. 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 Um, and the hardest thing when it comes to board game cafes and bars is that the way that um, cafes and bars make money is through getting people out of their seats churning through tables, uh, right? And the way a board game or an RBG cafe works is having people stay for four to six hours. Yeah. And so um, there are companies that make it work and make it work very well. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever been out to like Mox, Card Kingdom, that sort of thing, or Snakes no. and Lattes, or, yeah. you know, there, there are fantastic places that do it well, but um, it's certainly not the best model for a restaurant right right, right. it's again still going to be a it's going to be a better version or a different version of a game store right um we're going to get different kinds of clientele um but it's certainly not the best idea for a restaurant so a restaurant tour is going to it's going to be a hard sell for them it, like does that make any sense like, no that that does make sense huh i that's something something i'd never really thought of myself um uh, okay, so um, I this is I I love where this went. I've never had a conversation like this on my show. Okay. Um. <laughs> I um I I have a tendency to do that to people, which is um uh, they ask a question expecting a certain kind of answer, and I'm going to be like, well, so turns out no, it's great, it's yeah. amazing, <laughs> um, because because. You know, that's I, I, I love I love learning more about this industry. I love that you know, in, in business and, and everything. And I think it's valuable information for my listeners to hear too. So you know, there's there's a lot of preconceptions of how the industry actually works. Mm -hmm. And so much of this industry works on well this is the first some person experimented and did it this way and no one's experimented to try any other way, so that's why it's still being done this mm. way. Right? You know, best practices is not something that's really a general term that's used in the industry, right? There, now there are, now like that is not universal, and sure. there's certain, but like, you know, I can't tell you how many publishers that don't understand what the model of distribution, how distribution works for games in this country. Like the vast majority of publishers I talk to have no idea how mm -hmm. like games get into stores. Yeah, I feel like short of, uh, you know, the same method that's used for comic books, which is previews, and I'm, I don't know. I don't know. It's very I, complicated. I, and by that, I mean there's just a lot of industry baggage. Mm -hmm. I, it yeah. feels like there just needs to be a lot more education out available yeah. um, for for publishers, game designers. I even say retailers, right? Yeah, or, I mean, or would be real to there's, there are some really um, nasty habits of treating retailers like second-class citizens. Sure. Like, oh, retailers are the worst Uber fan. We need to ignore them. And it's like, 
okay, maybe that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe, but but you know, in general, it's like yeah. someone yeah. has decided that they want to spend their life and their career yeah. trying to bring the this piece of art, this product into someone else's life and like they're like I'm going to sacrifice making enough money for healthcare yeah. to because I love this work yeah. right you yeah. know <laughs> and um, like they I think we could do better on on like retailer best practices mm -hmm. like sh there is there are some professional development conferences but there is not a huge you know uh, there's not a union sure um, Gamma is the trade organization we have, and retailers aren't really, they're sort of invited, but it's not geared towards them. Yeah. You know. Um, th there's so much more work that we could do to educate and help each other and provide services. I'm, I'm really, I'm hopeful, though. I'm hopeful that that's all changing, and it's like something that I want to focus on. Yeah. Is, is I think yeah. it, it's an amazing focus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think it's a really boring focus and wish I would talk about rolling dice instead of, like, <laughs> statistical analysis of shipping trends. Like, I'm going to say this right now. Yeah. I really want to have you on for a full hour at some point. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just to, just to really get into this. Okay. Um, because um, uh, two things. I have a thing in yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, I, I feel like we've touched the surface, and I think that this is... This isn't a thing I hear people interviewed about so yeah well i mean most people think business administration is pretty boring hi i mean i think it's fascinating i, I think it's the best yeah. um i'm super excited about it but m not all not all, most people are like but what tell me i, I want to have feelings about your game and be excited about that and i'm like i'm more excited about you know Getting get more games to more people. Yeah. yeah. Getting, getting into people's hands in a way. Yeah. Um, um, making sustainable economic communities. Yeah. Right? Like. Yeah. Letting people get paid to do things they love. Yeah. 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 You know. You know, but a lot of that involves me like recommending that we raise prices on things, and consumers get really cranky with me when I'm like, "I know you like paying twenty bucks for an indie game, but you really should be paying forty-five dollars for that indie game." Yeah. Because of the amount of labor that went into that, yeah. people don't like it when I say no. That. Nobody, <laughs> nobody likes to hear the raised prices. No, like, like, and like, I know some people want to support creators, but then they're like, "But then I could only buy." you know, three or four games a year instead of, like, you know, eight or nine games a year. It's like, yeah, man. That's, like, <laughs> that's, that's a like thing. Like, I, I don't have a good solution for that one. Does, so. does digital help widen that, that gap a little bit where people can say, well, okay, I'm going to get eight or nine books a year, or now that the prices are a little bit higher, I'm going to get four or five, and then maybe digitally get the other ones? Um, I don't have enough data yet. Okay. Uh, I'm working on some survey stuff and sifting through some data that goes over that, but I don't have good answers. The only statistical information that I do have is one that was released by um, DriveThruRPG, mm -hmm. which um, uh, is kind of correlative um, is that that th what they noticed was that if a publisher had free product mm -hmm. and put free product up available online PDF to download that um, those downloads would increase during uh, midterms and finals weeks oh interesting of free downloads and then on interesting because who doesn't like to procrastinate when they're supposed to be doing midterms and finals <laughs> And well, this is a procrastination exercise right now. And then, on winter and summer break, yeah. they would buy core books. That's interesting. So they get the free stuff when they want to just look at something yeah. briefly. Oh. And then they're like, no, I really want to play that game. That's fantastic. Right? And like, so that, that sort of data, that's the sort of thing that should be more available to publishers, right? Yeah. Um, like, I... I, I, many people have seen me rant on the internet about data and about how this industry doesn't have a source for publishers to give their data to. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there, it is closely guarded and like the, the data that is available is very suspect. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's incomplete. It's, it's horrendously incomplete. Um, 
like the games industry is estimated to probably be a 1.1 billion billion dollar industry or somewhere around there and I think um, uh, like ICB2 statistics has it under uh, like like 400,000. Oh, no, no, four, 400 million, sorry. Okay. Yeah, but like... like Still, a huge gap. Right, like the, the information on like that other, the rest of those sales and what they are, they just don't have any data for. Yeah. Um, and so it's how, how can you do any sort of market forecasting or planning? Yeah. How can you plan without information? This has been so cool. Um, yeah, I know, you got, you got a thing I, that you I've, have to go to. I've really enjoyed this, but... Um, how can people get more information about you, about what you do, give you money? Um, uh, uh, when are you airing this podcast? Thursday. <sighs> okay. Um, so I'm in, like, I'm supposed to be redesigning my website this weekend. So uh -huh. it's like, if they go today, which is, which is today is Saturday. Yeah. Uh, if you go on Saturday, it's not ready yet. But by Thursday, I'll have to have you'll, it ready. You'll have to yeah. Have um, so that's M Lewis Gentry, mm -hmm. M L E W I S G E N T R Y dot Wixite W I X S I T E dot com mm -hmm. because I'm too lazy to buy my own domain and I'm using the free one. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> Melissa, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Thank this you so much. This has been a pleasure. I, I'll have you on. It, Probably pretty yeah. soon because I'm. I really want to talk more about this. Yeah, I'm um, here. I'll give you my business card. Oh, perfect. Yeah, uh, I got more in somewhere, but here we go. Excellent. Okay. Ooh, the, hey, and everybody, since I'm still recording, these are really nice business cards. Thank you. MLG. Yeah, uh, that's me. You know what? I'm gonna edit that. Okay. We're still at Queen City Conquest. I'm with Sean Gilgore, the marketing director. Um, Guest liaison and one of the five founding partners of Lake Effect Gaming who own Queen City Conquest. Who own Queen City Conquest. So you are very much the reason why we are here today. In some ways, yep. In some ways, yeah. Get the word out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it, the con's wrapping up. Um, how do you think it went overall? Oh, we had our largest amount of ticket sales. We're over 450 ticket sales for our convention. That's almost 100 more than last year. Mm -hmm. uh, doubled our size. So by adding a second room strictly for independent gaming and uh, keeping Adventures League in one room and board gaming and other events in another room, uh, people were comfortable. Size matters in some ways. It gives people the space and room to move around and feel comfortable. I mean, every con has its hiccups. Ours was mainly the air conditioning was cranking on Friday, and people were wondering if they needed blankets and <laughs> and parkas by Saturday. But everything got worked out with the convention there. But I, overall, I think a lot of the feedback we've gotten from our special guests and industrial people that are writers and game designers have been really, really positive. So I'm hoping... What we've done this year makes next year and future conventions that we promote and run grow even greater. Yeah. It, well, I, and I'll tell you, having talked to a number of the guests uh, on this, um, everybody's been had a really great time. Um, I, I, I love the, 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 the thing I keep hearing is um, that this is such an integrated convention as far as like the, the game designers and the the, the people playing that you're you know you can end up sitting next to uh, a game designer that you love yeah and not know it for the first 20 minutes and you look at their badge like oh you're that guy or oh yeah. you're that girl or hey you made that great game and we have uh, we've worked to grow that um it's been starting even like four years ago we had uh people like kurt covert and andy hop and bring in special guests uh, in the beginning that are not just game designers, creators, but mentors for other people. Mm -hmm. We find that a lot of the people that we relate to are not just here to play their game and sell their game, but they're here to help the gaming community as a whole. Yeah. And we would like to be that spark in western New York and the 300-mile radius around it from everywhere from Erie, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh to Toronto and Rochester and Syracuse and all the areas in between. 
it's uh, it's an amazing feeling when you connect the right people together. Yeah. And for you know that this person can help this person, and the next thing that's happening is games are being made and published. Um, yeah. I mean, gaming as a hobby has become much more of gaming as a business. <laughs> But it's expanded so much more than what we grew up as. It was either you played D&D or you played Top Secret or you played three or five different games. Uh-huh. I mean, just by looking at our Indie Press Revolution table with almost 100 games right. on display, our board game tables with over 250 different games to play, it's amazing to see how this hobby has grown in the last 20 years and how people are finding the confidence and the uh, drive to put their products out um, almost as an actor or comedian or musician you got to be able to put yourself out there yeah and this is one of those places we've hoped created an incredibly safe space where uh, games that were three years ago being demoed are now being published uh, Tower of Madness we're looking I'm looking at the box right now <laughs> Smirk and Dagger came here three years ago Kirk Overt was demoing that game and just the past Gen Con it Released and it's one of the top five on Board Game Geek at Gen Con. So we're, I'm very happy to see that growth, and I'm hoping that more designers take the opportunity to bring their games here and get the feedback that they need, get the constructive criticism, make the connections with publishers and artists and uh, designers and layout people and editors that make this hobby grow even more. Sure. It's, I mean, that's the the idea that, um, you know, this little corner of the world that I've kind of always been in could could be something like that. It'd be yep. this touchstone for something like that. Makes that's that seems amazing. Um, I'm going to ask this other question. Sure. How are you feeling? Oh, it's day four. Yeah. <laughs> um, part of my responsibilities is taking care of the special guests. Yeah. So a lot of what I do is I joke around and say, I'm the major domo. So if when Stacey Delafono arrives from San Diego, I'm there to pick her up with a cup of coffee. Yeah. When Aloy Lostanza needs something to eat, but it's got to be keto, I'm the one trying to find that yeah. for her. When Lisa Chen needs this or that, or any of our industry guests, or any of our just guests in general, that's my responsibility is to make this the most happy and inviting environment and make sure everybody is okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, it wears on you a little while. Um, you also, I mean, I can go to other cons. Um, I have a very steady gaming group that I game three nights a week with, two nights RPGs, one night board games. Mm-hmm. So I know that part of this con, I do want to enjoy myself, because I'm not going to get that opportunity every day in my life to go play a game with Aloy Lestanza living in Florida. Right. But in the same breath, uh, my best friend from high school, Phil Vecchione from Misdirected Mark, I play with him twice a week. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to crowd his game, but I want to play his games. Yeah. And I get those opportunities in their time. So I look at this much more in the sense that it's not my responsibility to jump into every game. If I get one game or two games in, I'm really happy. Mm-hmm. But more of my responsibility is taking care of the special guests and taking care of the simpler things like putting pictures on Facebook of people having a good time to share what this event's about. Uh, having conversations with people like you so people know what the QCC and Queen City Conquest is all about. Mm-hmm. I mean, every year we've tried to grow this a little bit bigger and things like the epic changing from 70 people to 100 people to 125 players every year is amazing to me. And um, me personally, I would like to sort of switch sides maybe one time and be more of a just a player yeah but i am very passionate about this convention i'm very passionate about this hobby and i know that my time needs to be used wisely and i ha- i can't be selfish about oh i'm just going to sit around and play games for 20 hours right that's not my job here my job is to make sure that when you come into my convention and my partner's convention that you are greeted with a warm welcome yeah you are understand what's happening at the convention and if you need something be it I'm a game master and no one signed up for my game or I just walked in the door on Sunday at one o'clock what is there left for me to do and get you involved and then make sure that if there's other questions 
uh, I'm there for you. If there's criticism or feedback, I'm here to listen because that's my job dealing with the marketing side of this, be it everything from our ads on Spotify this year that we tried to working with um, our local friendly local gaming shops to getting the word out on social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, what it is that we're spreading. I always say I'm a, I'm a gaming evangelist. I'm, I'm the, I spread the gospel of gaming. I mean, I'm not trying to make that as a religious reference, but sure. I, w- I want people to come here and spread the good word of yeah. this hobby. And Because and I, I think, honestly, it's the last bastion of social interaction that a lot of people still have. We see, we joke about it and make common comments on a regular basis. Everybody's buried in their phone. Everybody's buried in their video game. Or no one's, we're f- five people hanging out at a table at a restaurant and no one's talking to each other because they're all looking at their Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Those things have value. But social connections with people, I think, have a lot more value. Telling stories at a table. Because everything about gaming is that it? Rep- it's not a permanent replacement, but I have some friends that are very much physically fit, in shape, uh, healthy, mm-hmm. and they can go on an adventure, go hiking up in the woods, go in the cavern. <coughs> there are other people that can't do that because they have physical limitations. They can come to a convention or a game, and they can play and tell a story, and then those people not just become the game people at the time, they become their friends yeah and you almost the same way that a professional sports player saying remember that game in 86 when it was two outs and we hit that home run and won the game that same vibe or feeling was like remember that time you rolled the natural 20 and you killed that ogre and it was right before he slayed the princess she he slayed the princess those are the stories we tell and remember just as much as weddings and 21st birthdays yeah. and, and everything like that. So it gets it, it, it's emotional connections that we make at these tables. It's the characters that we create that I know the joke a lot of times is no one wants to hear the story about telling me about my character. <laughs> but if you gave someone 15 minutes of that ear, they'll, they'll never forget that. Oh, yeah. They'll never forget the fact that you were willing to listen. And because it's just to them, it might not be a book, might be someday might be a movie or a comic book or whatever, but it's their creative output that they are so passionate about. So now we're having these people who were joking around maybe 10 years ago, well, let me tell you about my D&D character, really taking the time to create a game, create a character, create an environment for others to play yeah. and sharing that experience. And I think that's one of the best things we do, not just at this convention, but in gaming in general. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was a beautiful statement. Yeah. That was... Um, I... Uh, I'm... I'm... Uh, I'm a little, little overwhelmed, to be honest. Okay. Because everything about that was just like... Like... I, I, you know, you were saying I'm, I'm a little bit evangelical. I felt a little. I felt the, yeah. the spirit, right? <laughs> um, because that's that. It, it is about allowing. You know, it, isn't isn't it about allowing people to be whatever they want to be? You know. Yeah. No. It, I said it the other day. Um, our news, local news channel, covered us, hoping to give us word on the street about the convention. If, if you want to be a superhero, there's a game for that. There's a game for that. If you want to be a medieval knight, there's a game for that. If you want to be a peacock looking for your bride, there's a game for that. <laughs> oh, are they playing it? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be a zombie sheep, there's a game for yeah. that. <laughs> there is something for everyone in the gaming community. From romance novels to underground subterfuge to the classics of Dungeons and Dragons to the modern 80s of Vampire to today, the big game is Tales of the Loop where you're playing like Stranger Things or Mm -hmm. kids on bikes and going through adventures where... I mean, I, I live in a town where it, I think it is back in the 80s because I still see kids on bikes and walking around at a local Burger King or whatnot. Sure. But you see things on the news like, well, I'll never let my kid walk a half mile to school. This or that or this will happen. And I'm like, 
Now we got to play games to re live real life the way it was back 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It's kind of awkward, but it's kind of something that happens. Right. Yeah. And that's that's how people... Well, and that's, I guess, in a lot of ways, too, uh, games are, are a way that people can experience the past, regardless of, of when it was. I mean, yeah, 20 years ago, oh, it's too right. bad we, we can't necessarily do that. But also, if, if it's a 1,000 years ago or 100 years yes, ago, you know... I mean, if, if you really want to play Lord of the Rings... There's a game yeah. for Lord of the Ring players. Yeah. Now, it might not be the best mechanics, but it's focusing on the Tolkien history of it. And if you're absorbed in that, be it a lot of the licensing for a lot of movies and television shifts over to the gaming world. Yeah, I mean, we talked. I've talked about many pieces that gaming started in comic book shops. Yeah. So the comic book industry is very much tied into the gaming industry in a, in a lot of ways. You want to play Marvel characters? There's Marvel games. You want to play DC characters? There's DC games. Mm -hmm. You want to play uh, the rock band Kiss? You can make those characters up in a lot of different games. If, if just you want to play something. The main thing is take the time to play it. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge with gaming in general is that social con con time that you put aside for it. Right. Uh, to getting everybody's schedules on the same page. Uh, it's challenging. And the older you get, the more responsibilities take, the harder it is. I mean, I look back at my teen years and like, wow, we used to play a lot. Like, there wasn't a weekend we didn't play something. There wasn't a summer that there wasn't a game every two or three days. And then you get that oh look shine oh new shiny effect or the the squirrel effect. Oh look, a new game came out. Oh look, a new module came out. Well, I want to do this. Well, I want to do that. It's a, sometimes staying with the, the the path of what you're doing is a great thing too. And other times it's like, well, I'm running this on Tuesday. I'm running this on Friday. And you got to experiment a little bit, but. The one thing I will tell every listener is I think the best thing you can possibly have is if you get a good group of people on a consistent campaign mm -hmm. that goes 12, 18 months, two years, you're going to have to tell and emotions to feel that like you'll remember for decades. For the rest of your life. Yeah. And something you like... And, uh, well, I'm at a position now as a single dad where now I'm trying to share that hobby sure. with my child. Um, she's nine or going. She's eight. It looks like she's eleven, but she's eight. And I'm getting her into simpler board game stuff. But sooner or later, I'm going to want to sit down with her and tell stories at the table. Yeah, you know, and then where that goes, and see if we can get her friends that she goes to school with involved in it. And because it, it's that creative juice that you can give a different outlet to. I mean, maybe they're more of a book writer. Maybe they're more of a musician. Maybe they're more of a videographer. I mean, we have a lot of kids today, and I can see sort of the way the technology is going, that even now we're doing this interview right on your cell phone. Yep. And my daughter <laughs> wanted to do nothing more than make YouTube videos. And I'm, like, all supportive of that. Now, maybe she'll make YouTube videos of her and her friends playing games. Maybe she'll make YouTube videos of restaurants she likes to eat at. But it's still a creative outlet. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us really... We could be in this room right now next to the next Josh Wheaton or major screenwriter right. that started by writing modules for D&D &D yeah. or whatever game they love. Yeah. And then if they have the drive and the spirit, take from that to the next level of being a screenwriter or a playwright or something and then going into a completive direction and then again spreading that gospel of that hobby and what it could do for you. I mean, it, the next one could be, uh, you know, an 11-year-old girl I played a, ga a game about mermaids with today. Like, right. That would be amazing. Amazing. Is... And, and it, it definitely seems, yes, there's D&D, &D, yes, there's Pathfinder, all these, these different things. Um, but there's so many options out there. And one of the, the things I saw today was I saw so many kids, maybe not a ton, but more than I saw last year, um, playing... Playing a game. Playing a role-playing game. Yeah. 
Well, I think it, there's two factors that took place, especially at this convention. I mean, we we made a very strong effort to let people know that Sunday was family day. Yeah. And uh, a convention badge normally is forty dollars for a day. We gave four badges for forty dollars today. Mm-hmm. Bring your wife, bring a kid, two kids and two adults for forty bucks and come and play. Uh, so we made a very concise effort for that. The second, having a loyalist Stanza here, or loyalist Santa here, um, he has a focus on children and gaming, yeah. uh, and we wanted that opportunity to happen. Now, that needs to spread a, a deeper. I believe. I mean, to have more, if we could have uh, more kids from the boys and girls clubs, more kids from the YMCA, sure, who maybe have never experienced a board game or a role-playing game scenario before, where they're like, well, I'm going to sit down and tell a story, I'm going to roll some dice, uh, and they're going to have that sort of, that first co- uh, trepidation that, oh, this is something geeks do in their basement. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I got 500 geeks here that are out of their basement <laughs> having a good time, and my big thing is that the, those geeks in the basement are everybody from Stephen Colbert, Will Smith, Vin Diesel, that took the next step, got over the anxiety or the I'm going to live with 1,000 no's until I get a yes, yeah. and take that passion to a next level. Yeah. And for me, taking the next level for this convention is making sure that we get more people who are open-minded and inclusive and from every walk of life to come and come together and celebrate the game. And it's not always, gaming doesn't always have to be about win-lose. There's, competitive gaming would be great here as well. Mm -hmm. But I believe the concept like children coming and telling a story together is both fun and an educational experience. Mm -hmm. As a former fourth grade teacher, I believe that if you gave more kids creative assignments for writing but more reading in a non-fictional environment to really learn about what the world's about, you would have a stronger mindset. Because now you have a basis of what is real, but then you can also create from a white piece of paper. Uh, There's that that old saying, like the first stroke on a piece of paper for artists is the hardest, because then you're stuck with what that starting point is. (laughs) Um, But never be afraid of that piece of paper, because there's always another piece of paper. So... It's, it's interesting, too, because there's, you know, a lot of education is fact dump, right? Right. Um, but, like, what do you do with those facts? Like, exactly. What, and, I mean, especially in a day and age where a computer or a cell phone can tell you most of the facts. Right. I mean, uh, for me, like, calc- in math is very important because it makes the brain think of a logical manner. Yeah. So understanding those math facts is important. But there's going to be a, p- a time, we all joke, like, when I'm in the real world, I'm just going to use a cash register and a calculator. Right. Well, what if power goes out? <laughs> right. But when we're talking about history and science and theology and philosophy and those things... There's a lot of abstract thought there. And when you're designing a game, you're going to have both of those. You're going to have the yep. mechanics of the game, which are mathematical and hard, factual. And you're going to have the uh, creative point of it. It's like when you read a book and I read a book and read that same page and they talk about the color of the ocean, we're both going to have two different visual images. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the author's responsibility based on the word knowledge to give us the best representation of what the author was thought so that they convey that point to us. Yeah. But we're going to have different ideas of what ocean blue is or sky blue is or <laughs> what the dirt looked like, what the blood looks like it's very important that we harness that Mm -hmm. and make environments like this where people can say here's what I tried to do Mm -hmm. and go from that point Um, some you're going to come in and we're all going to be mistake makers and but if you sit down with me or other game designers and you get the positive feedback and the constructive criticism for you to go back into your laboratory and make version 2.0 or version 2.5 and then keep working at it, keep working at it. Sooner or later, you're going to get a point, well, this game's going to go out, this game's going to go out, this game's going to go out. 
and that's you know and when you when those games are out there and people are interacting with these things that you factually you know these facts that you've researched and have been very carefully curated right they're going to know those facts you know yep. that they're they're gonna that's that goes back to learning mm-hmm. um, that's this has been great so um, I know it's early mm-hmm. to, to ask this um, what 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 any thoughts about next year oh uh, next year um, right now my main thing for next year is we are a role-playing game convention 70% of our we had 250 events listed yeah 225 of them were role-playing game events yeah but we had 25 board game events listed but we have a large board game library that people can come in and just pull off the shelf and play games so it's much more casual mm-hmm. um, we have a play to win selection supported by our our partners at double exposure envoy that they've been here for at least four or five years providing us 50 games that are play to win mm-hmm. so you come in you just pick it off off the shelf you write your name in the hat after you're done playing it somebody picks a name and that person wins the game so what I would like to see more developed is two things. One, I would like to see the board game side. I don't expect it to be even. I don't expect 250 role-playing game events and 250 board game events. I would like to see maybe 80-20 sure. next year to see a little more growth. I would like to see us become more of that creative spawn. I would like to see more of a proto spiel environment where I have game designers and fledgling game writers that come in and want that constructive criticism and feedback Mm -hmm. so that more of the people that are here uh, that are in the industry can again be mentors be helpful give some honest feedback and help people bring those games to life Um, the other part of it is uh, we want to make sure that we keep a level of inclusi- inclusivity as part of our mission statement. And with that said, this year we had our first Contessa. And people are not familiar with Contessa, you go to www.contessa.rocks. Uh, it is basically a safe space environment convention within our convention that provides for Every minority, LBGDQ, African-American, religious, whatever it is, that want to be in the gaming community. And that's the other fact of it. you got to want to be in the gaming community Mm -hmm. to be a part of this. Um, To come and play. Uh, Everybody's welcome here. Uh, Everybody who has an open mind and open heart is is welcome here and wanted here. Even if you're not a gamer but want to learn how to play some games, you are welcome here. And that, and I mean, I got open arms for everybody. And you come and meet me, I'm going to have a hug for you. You do. Yeah. <laughs> you totally do. <laughs> um, and I want to make sure you feel safe and you feel sound and you feel welcome. Um, expanding those two things, expanding the creative side of our business and being a place where people can be mentored and developed and expanding the um, the community to not just be the stereotypical comic book guy from the Simpsons looking person here mm-hmm. where you might look like a fashion model, you might look like the average kid from down the street with his Bills hat on but you like and love the hobby of gaming no matter what the game is mm-hmm. you're welcome here and getting that word out is what to me is most important awesome that's awesome um, what's next for Lake Effect? Uh, Lake Effect Gaming is focusing on a couple of concepts I'm just going to tell you what the concepts are sure. nothing is written in stone uh, we have discussed doing uh, what we call the Gamers Ball which is like a uh, upscale gaming event, almost like a New Year's Eve type event, mm-hmm. where we would have like a full dinner that's part of the ticket, uh, focus more on fun, not so much uh, 
four-player games, but like social deduction gaming, large 20-player games, things where it's more interactive and social. Okay. Um, Escape rooms, that kind of thing? Like Two Booms in a Room, Ultimate Werewolf, uh, Salem, social deduction, uh, player interaction, uh, LARPing, things like that. Okay. Uh, One of the other concepts we have, and again, these are concepts, they haven't come to fruition, is... um, Board game banquets, where um, this is really an outreach to try to get the average family to play more games. Mm -hmm. So an example would be, uh, we're basically stealing the paint and wine concept, where you go to an event and learn how to paint a picture and get a a wine and appetizers while you're doing it, but instead you're learning how to play one or two different board games. So a family of four comes in. They get uh, an appetizer tray, some drinks, and things like that. While that's happening, they come to a table, and they have a, a mentor who knows how to play this game. Mm-hmm. Teach them how to play some simple card games, some simpler board games, but not Monopoly, not Hasbro. Yeah. Like something where it's part of these other brands and designers where, oh, I never knew these games existed. Right. Um, and then... Learn how to play one game, go take a break, have a little more to eat and drink, come back, there's a new game at the table, we split you up with different players so you have a different experience of playing with other, uh, maybe we put all the kids together at one table and all the adults, but still have that mentor and coach teaching you how to play the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, A game like Sheriff of Nottingham would be a classic Mm -hmm. example of that. Uh, A game like Coop or um, any of the dystopian universe or ultimate werewolf would be something like that and then bring everybody in for like a larger game setting at the end and part of that is like okay now that you've played the game we're going to draw a name and give somebody the game and so it helps the publishers get their games out it it helps us improve and in a sense all of these events are key to growing our community so that when we have Queen City Conquest or other conventions we have more people to talk to about, about mm-hmm. where it's like, I mean, it, it's let's bring more people into the hobby. Yeah, uh, we've we're going to start partnering up with boys and girls clubs in the Western New York area to teach teach kids. So amazing, go yeah. going into those locations on a on a weekday weekend with like three or five different games and say, hey, sit down, let me teach you how to play a new game, and working with partners to get those games donated so the game is still there for the kids after we leave yeah you know um i would like to see us get involved we do we we did our our charity auction here uh i would like to see like a second charity auction event off-site where Mm -hmm. we're doing um working more with the local businesses and industries so we're teaching the people like companies and corporations the benefits of gaming and sponsoring and helping out Women's and Children's Hospital and Child's Play and having those uh, funds and finances to support those endeavors. Okay? A lot of ideas on the table. Yeah. The question is implementation, timing, getting them all done. But right now, uh, we've had our full year to get this convention. Numbers-wise, it's for ticket sales and badges. It's been our best ever. Uh, I don't know what the final numbers are for costs and things like that. It's not something I would bring up, but um, I am ecstatic for our future. Uh, The word is getting out about us. I've told people the last few years, this is the greatest gaming convention you've never been to. (laughs) And I'm hoping that after this year, more and more people are going to say, spread the word. I've had people come from New York City, from Ottawa, from Toronto, from Erie, Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh and just walk up to me seeing my badge and either leaving or coming in and saying, I can't tell you how much of a great time I had. And it just warms my heart that we're doing something great for people. Mm-hmm. So uh, seeing co- local companies get opportunities like um, Azure Night Games, who I've, I've never met before. They just bought a table and wanted to split their game. To see that it's coming to fruition that we're getting more game designers and more publishers to come and start here and get the word out and then let's go from there as if like one year three years from now that's the game I'm showing at a gamers banquet or at a board game buffet 
that just makes everybody better. Yeah. You know, I'm supporting the local economy. I'm supporting our local publishers. And we're getting the word out that Buffalo is a uh, spark point for the hobby. People are like, why gaming in Western New York? Well, there's nine game stores in a 45-mile radius. Nine months out of the 12 months out of the year. It's a joke, but it's true. It's cold. Uh, I mean, we, it's true. You, there, you need things to do indoors yeah. just as much as doing outdoors. Uh, board gaming and role-playing gaming and card gaming is definitely one of that. And going back to my previous point, it's still one of the most social activities you can have with your family and friends that isn't always going to bring up the arguments of politics and religion right. and other button-pushing things where you can have fun with people and enjoy yourself with them yeah. and not be worried about, oh, am I going to be twitchy about it? Not you have know? to be in eggshells about it. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's very well said, sir. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I hope you had a good time at Queen City Conquest. I had a great time. This is, yeah. my, this is my favorite con that great. I have been to twice now. Awesome. So, um, and, uh, and I will be back next year. Um, and I'm sure I'll see you around and we'll, we'll hang out. We'll Definitely. Hang out. Yeah. Right. But, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you I feel like I should have ended it right there. Okay. <laughs> wow. What a great couple of episodes. Despite uh despite the hardships with this one. Um but it's all good, right? Melissa and Sean, I got, I can't thank them enough. I I learned so much from talking to both of them. Um, that's one of the things I always want to bring to you folks is insight into the industry of gaming beyond just, you know, game designers. I, I of course, want to bring you game designers. That's mostly... that You'll get a lot of that from me, right? But, um, you know, what, what, what else is going on, you know? I'll be talking to lots of different people in the coming year. I'm very excited. Kind of reinvigorated a little bit. Um, but uh, you should definitely go to queencityconquest.com to check out uh, uh, the updates there. 2019 is looking to be an awesome year. So I'm hoping to see you all there. Uh, Sean can be found on Twitter. At uh, uh, I could have had this ready. Be super cool for me to do so. Um, at Edge zero six one eight, and also you can find Queen City Conquest at Queen City Con. It's the best place to find the Lake Effect Gaming crew. Follow them and keep up. Melissa Lewis Gentry, you can find her on LinkedIn. Um, hire her. She's got some good insight, right? And she's very fun to talk to, and she's cool. She's got cool philosophy. Cool. I did cool things. I also dig sleep, which I'm going to go do right now. Probably next to the glasses that I couldn't find, which is why this is edited so poorly, because I couldn't see anything, but that's okay. You can find me at Doc Palindrome on Twitter. This is And So It Begins by Artificial Music. And as always, please give to Contessa on their Patreon. This has been a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded designs and I am just gonna let this music play out to the end uh oh go listen to Zhang Hu Hustle or something yeah <laughs>